next on the Well of Sound. I think of a round of applause for Chrissy Hind, ladies and gentlemen. out to women that I know who are creatives, women that I admire in the field, Mm -hmm. and I asked them to tell me, just shot in the dark, but just kind of guessing that they might have been someone who had Chrissy Hine or The Pretenders on a mixtape on a Walkman back in the 80s, and just kind of said, thoughts? Yeah. And the first person said, she's never to be underestimated or easily reduced. That's great. Another person said, I don't know if I'm really qualified other than just being overwhelmed by brass and pocket and what it meant and how sexy and tough it was at the same time. Alluring, but with a promise of violence, you know? <laughs> I love it. That's great. I, I, I on the back of the 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 jacket for her book. Yeah, uh, they talk about her being vulnerable yet tough, and I think that's uh, it. That's it. This is it's it's such a sh- um, rare combination. Yeah, um, and she's so not putting it on. No, it's all about authenticity. Yeah, a hundred percent, always. Maybe even to a fault for her personally. <laughs> She's definitely had some uh, adventures. Um, yes. In fact, like th- realizing how much she was at Ground Zero during so many things going on in the so world. So many things. World of music, just in general. And, uh, uh, and culturally. Culturally. <laughs> I'm sorry, not just music. Yes. Like everything. Everything. It was, uh, that's what I learned so much. So, I mean, wh- when was, but. How did you first? What was your first recollection of the Pretenders? Do you have a? I think entry honestly, point? I think it's 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 uh, it's sort of cliche. I think it's Brass and Pocket on the radio. I think what was unique about that song is that it was surrounded by bloated and crunchy male rock mm-hmm. for the rest of the hour. And then this song comes on and it's totally different and sort of 
clear as a bell, but um, a, a, a forward sound and a pop sound, but a rock sensibility and all these things. Um, I think that for the longest time, I, I, I took The Pretenders and Chrissy Hine for granted, just as, as kind of music that I inherited as part of rock and liking rock, but I never went down the rabbit hole until a few years ago. As you know, I'm a big fan of Steve Jones and Jonesy's Jukebox, and it was only through coming to understand what the punk scene was in 75 through 77 and realizing that she, as you just said, uh, was right at ground zero and re and and hearing it when she would go on his show and this the <laughs> the sort of the lads talk that they would have and the adventures that they would talk about i was instantly charmed by her um she's also, an amazing interviewee i mean she's amazing she's, she's she'll she's got a little bit of that marvin gay sort of disagree with everything you say <laughs> but like she's got some quip every single time and then she also has a story and she's just no she's nobody's fool i i, I get the sense she does fool. not suffer fools lightly um no but she's tough as nails <laughs> yeah and i mean just let's just put it out there she's about as cool a person as like in the conventional yeah. sense in the of conventional like a, sense she would never i mean in the sense of being unconventional almost like a right. rock and roll cool right uh, you know, devil may care. I'm going to do it my way, like get out of my way kind of uh, uh, everything that that entails. Like she's as cool as they come. And I think that uh, most of that has to do with being, again, authentic, an authentic fan of rock music. Like she's a fan first uh, from age 12 yeah. on. Um, and she made some of those fantasies come true along the way. Uh, but like I think that's every what one of them come true almost. It's insane. <laughs> if you read her autobiography. Right. Let me just tell you the way I was introduced to the Pretenders. Is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My father, it turns out, is a, was a huge Pretenders fan. And like, really? That was one of his favorite groups, sort of new wave groups. And I never associated them with the punk for that reason, because he was never really into punk. Yeah. But they were living in New York in the late 70s mm. and early 80s. And he took my mother on one of their sort of early young married uh, dates yeah, before, right. I think even like right after my younger brother was, my older brother was born. Yeah. They went to, I think it was um, the Ritz, which is now Webster Hall. Okay. And... Uh, they saw them, and and my dad's always said he said I first lineup first lineup. I saw this incredible show, and in the middle of the show, Chrissy Hine went into the crowd and punched some guy in the face, and then got back up and kept playing. <laughs> it was just one of these. Wait, what? There's this mythic moment that he'd always told his a rock and roll moment. He he saw a lot of shows. Yeah, but Chrissy Hine also sort of resembled my mother a little bit, uh -huh. and, and uh, physically, and there was a um, there was that. But I also remember. Back on the chain gang being played in my house quite a bit when yeah. I was a kid, and middle of the road and right. talk of the town and and these songs. But there was a, she was iconic, yeah. in a way that I never really I I always considered her like my dad's band, and so I right. didn't really go there too right. deeply until I got sense. older. And especially for this episode, I've discovered an enormous amount of work here. Yeah. Um, 
so I think it's, it's, it's if we're going to talk about her, it's essential that we talk about Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. In Akron, the state's fifth largest city, that story deals primarily with rubber and the some 32,000 different rubber products of her humming factory. Akron is the rubber manufacturing capital of the nation and the world. Her very name is synonymous with rubber. From tires and tubes to rubber heels and hip boots, the torrential tide of products flows to the far-flung markets of the earth. Rubber is to Akron what salt is to the sea. She's impregnated with it. Her description in the, her autobiography of the Akron of her early youth is one, I mean, it's almost like what we associate with 50s Americana, just yeah. big cars, the, you know, the house with the tree in the front, apple tree in the front yard, the white picket fence, the whole deal. Um, and then, and and her father being this huge figure in her life and her mother being glamorous and fashionable and beautiful. I think her mother was a model. Right. A for, for a little brief time. Right, yeah. right. And uh, her dad was maybe a Marine. Um, and then worked for the Bell Company. Right. He was a telephone guy. Um, and then there's this shift that comes with all preteens, this, this uh, awareness that everything is not quite as it seems when you're a child. And I think the truth seeker in this person uh, at the time of complete upheaval in the 60s, cultural upheaval, uh, was aware of the lie and the hypocrisy. And I think there was a flip that, yeah. that happened there. And, and rock was the vehicle, rock and roll. 60s and early 70s rock and roll was the... the her um her torch to to yeah hold she on was to. she was perfectly timed though like like yes her adolescent rebellion combined with the exact moment that when it's all you exploding know, both the, the Beatles happening and then uh, the sort of hippie movement happening and then Bowie and and, and Iggy and all Velvet Underground too I mean, Zappa all of these things she's she's right at the right age in the right place and it kind of boggles the mind because yes she does have this idyllic or at least you know the way that we've come come to believe that sort of lie about the 1950s which I right. mean, there were some things that were probably uh she she which is funny about her her talk is that she both completely rejects america yes but also continues to eulogize yep. an america that no longer exists so right. like downtown akron right she was and is committed let loose to and free and yeah. loves as part of a talk. She talks about American radio as though it were the, her great teacher, and that right. the regional radio when she was growing up was absolutely miraculous in a way that doesn't exist anymore. So there, she does. She has nostalgia for this time as well as something that she had to walk away from. Right. Anyway, we should probably tell the yeah, whole story. Yeah, let's get in there. Um, yeah, as you said, there were these regional DJs who who shaped her understanding of music it was before corporate radio and these djs were tastemakers and brought forth uh uh songs that she never would have heard uh and also ohio for whatever reason cleveland was first stop for many of these 
British bands uh, in breaking America. Before they would go to New York, they would go to Cleveland. Sort of warm up a little To bit. warm up. So she saw Bowie on the Hunky Dory tour. She gave she him saw a the ride. Stones. She gave him oh, a ride somewhere in, a, in her car. Right. Because she, she and her girlfriends would all just hang out outside. They weren't really groupies. No. They would just hang out because they were obsessed. And they would just hit the road and go wherever they needed to Rock go Rock and roll to see was their shows. entire horizon. But as right. a result, she she saw every single lineup of the Stones. I mean, she saw them with Brian Jones. She saw right. them. And Detroit is bleeding over, so there's uh, Mitch Ryder. And there is, uh, well, I mean, James Gang is happening. That's Ohio. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of middle America rock and roll happening. Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop is her, abs- is her obsession. Her obsession. Like, and but again, she's on the ground floor of Iggy Pop, as right. well as the Velvet Underground. I think she sees right. them live. You know, and everyone always says, you know, the, whoever the people who bought that first Velvet Underground, they all formed bands. She would be one of these people. Absolutely, and also these people. So she's seeing Brian Jones. And Mick Jagger and their uh, high street fashion, yeah, in Ohio, and she's instantly, you know, it's like a wolf pup, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she's just locked on this, and it imprints in her mind, and this is what she's after. She's after looking like that. It's incredible. And you look later to Hendrix is a huge influence on her. And as she like covers his songs throughout, uh, she actually, she actually, this episode has given me a new appreciation for Jimi Hendrix. Cause I, I oh, really? went through a phase in high school and like, I, it's not music I returned to that much, but then her, a love of Jimi Hendrix, which you could see in the clothes she wore. Yeah. As well as the fact that she kept covering his songs. Like it, it, uh, she had she was attracted to that aspect too of like the fashion if you look at like him yeah. wearing those cool military jackets you know that's right she does that which i think also again it's i think there was a germ of something with her mom who clearly uh was an influence was fashionable i think you know a different style of fashion she, but they lived it, in like a very modern house actually when she was a little older yeah her, I mean, she she talks about like learning to sing in church and stuff like that. But for the most part, they they move around quite a bit. Her brother, I think, is a jazz musician of some kind. She pronounced she said something that I've never heard before, and I'm sure is accurate because she said it, and it's her brother who does it. Saxophonist. Yeah, I've never heard it pronounced <laughs> that way, but I love that. Yeah, she so. But Chrissy just spends her entire, uh, she's not interested in school, and right. she's, girls don't really play guitar, but she starts trying to learn, and she, she learns, right? Well, I got a book that had, um, you know, pictures of chords, dots on strings, and then I uh, recall taking a few guitar lessons from someone, maybe about five, and he showed me how to play a few blues progressions. But mainly, I was, being a girl, I was really shy of playing with the other guys at school, so I just tried to make it up on my own. Did you ever try, try not, to? Not terribly yeah. successfully, but well, but then when I realized that I could make, once I made a few chords, I could, I got more interested in melodies and, and uh, words. So she's, she's flirting with this 
idea. She, but she's not with total confidence at this point. Although there is one band that she's a part of with Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo. What's it called? Saturday Sunday Matinee or something like that? It's Sat Sun Matt. Sat Sun. I mean, it's not a. Uh, I don't think it goes anywhere. But no. I, and she realizes years later, it's it's the Chrissy Hines story is like. Everywhere she goes, she meets someone who ends up being it's, some huge star, but she knew them before that. Right. And so, like, Mark Mothersbaugh, like, you know. It's like Forrest Gump. Like, in seven, the eight world. years later, yeah, yeah. Devo is huge. Right, 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 right. But she knew him. Oh, yeah, you were that guy who formed a band with <laughs> that, weirdo. Yeah, that weirdo. That <laughs> weirdo. And she, I would say, her first oh. kiss. Do you hear about what her first kiss? Oh, yeah, right. Is she goes to a Jackie Wilson concert. Hey, you! Jackie Wilson, the great soul singer, and somehow she and her her friend are at the front row, and I think she's 14 or something, and there's a point in the show where Jackie just is like, they basically put a girl on stage to make out with him, and she's chosen, hoisted on stage, and that's her first kiss, is with Jackie Wilson during the middle of her performance. Right. Right. And you know, there's some questionable things going on there, right. but at the same time, it's all stranger than fiction. It's an, an amazing story. Yeah. I mean, it's like really that's Another it? here's another personality in uh in the early part of her life and this most people will not think, "Oh wow, that's so cool." But for me, speaking of the DJs that sort of influenced her sphere, there was also a newscaster uh, in Cleveland on TV and did sort of a, a, a late night uh, or, or like weekends um, horror type show like Elvira, uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, that kind of thing, or like UHF and, and all those things named Goulardi. And he would show uh, movies. Do you know who that was? Ernie yeah. Anderson, who is Paul Thomas Anderson's father, who is the famous voice of ABC TV in really? the 80s huh. that you would know. Next on Who's the Boss? Saturday, the love boat sails early as Doc bets he can give up women. It's a 90-minute special at 8, 7 Central and Mountain. Then Anne Margaret, Hollywood movie girls with George Byrne, Dom DeLuise, Taxi's Danny DeVito, and Roger Moore. The lights. I had no idea. That yeah. is a total Lex thing yeah, to yeah, be yeah. into. I know she also gets super she's really into comic books she gets into S. Oh, really? S. Clay Wilson especially oh, S. Clay Wilson, yeah. and she's ends up being like I think she's uh has almost personally overseen or funded some of like the reclamation and the archiving of his work oh really so that from. pulls in the uh the biker factor which is also an obsession of hers it's an obsession and, and it's kind of an important part of the the early phase of of the pretenders yes and it's because there's a song called Tattooed Love Boys. So there's 20 doors around a hot back and leave the love boys. I told my knees I'll get them to you because I need it. To find out what the thing was for, I've been reading. A man's time came to explore. I went eight fire because I thought, like I like it. Little tease, but I didn't mean it. Basically, the story of her being assaulted by a right. group of um, Hell's Angels. Hell's Angels, and in the, Cleveland. In Cleveland, the way she talks about it, and now this is—I mean, it's you sort of read her book because she's got a very singular way of talking about this yeah. in, incident. But it's all in the song, and this is really. 
what causes her to move to England? Yeah, well, that yes, absolutely. I think uh, uh, to a lesser degree, she was at Kent State uh, and maybe had a boyfriend. Her friend's boyfriend was killed in the Kent State riots that uh, that Neil Young wrote the song about. Right. So that's in the backdrop, and she's very close to that, and then this horrible thing happens, and as she puts it, I had to get out of there. Yeah. I didn't like living in America, so I moved to England. Right. And then the journalist thing came along just as a was that- accident. It wasn't, I didn't go there to write. In fact, I wasn't good at writing. It wasn't my something I wanted to pursue. I was, was just that a plan by you, though, to get yourself into a musical area where you'd meet good bands and maybe end up no. in a band? Not really, because I didn't try to get a band together for quite a few years after I left America. Right. I just was leaving because I wanted to move. Get out. But, uh, yeah, 1973, she's 22-ish, and she heads to London, not really knowing a thing, hoping that she's going to meet Mark Bolin within a week and uh, be a part of the glam scene. But essentially, in 1973, it's almost over, and British music is kind of in an in-between phase, uh, and it's it's loosey-goosey, and she's now she's over there, and she's got to find a way to live and she's kind of a a shop girl stall uh uh merchant and then eventually meets somebody else who loves iggy pop as much as she does uh one mr nick kent for me the music press has an obligation to uh, do three things that is to inform to entertain and to inspire and involves like I mean you missed out each salt. Yeah. I tell you what salt? Yeah. I tell you what, you do inform. Inform. You don't inf- you don't inform. Yes I do it. Yeah, yeah. We, we no, inform. You, you don't, you we don't inform, inform on, on the basic level hold on. We inform on the basic level of what gigs are going on this week. It's what we're talking about information. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were talking about informing well, yeah, on what like, musicians have, no. to, have to say in, in a in a Yes, we yeah, yeah, and, and we inform on uh, on on, you know, what's no, going we, on. Nick Kent, the the rolling the writer for uh, NME and, and he's sort of a Rolling Stone writer, he's he's kind of a uh one of the one of the I don't know what would you call them the the original rock journalists who, yeah. who sort of lived like rock like the Lester Bangs type of the Nick Kent's uh, articles he wrote an article about Brian Wilson which is one of the great pieces ever written about about Brian Wilson but he's r- rakish to say the least <laughs> and is sort of trying to dress like Keith Richards and and they but they they hook up and they're together for a while for a while and he uh, helps her be a, a writer at NME and she actually becomes a popular music journalist uh, <laughs> for like half an hour for a half an hour I love th- this was her quote about NME where American journalists thoughtfully reported the human uh, interest aspect of a story the English went straight for the underbelly everything was a riddle never a straightforward murder but always tinged with sadism right up my street <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing at a David Cassidy I was, show? <laughs> I was reviewing the show. 
Oh, for what magazine? Oh, the NME. It was like 1973 or 1974. What did you write about him? Um, I didn't know that much about his music, and I'd never seen that program that he did. What was it? The, the Partridge yeah. Family. But I just, I just got to talk to him, and he was telling me about the, when he was a, a um, when he was a kid with his brother, and they used to watch this woman getting undressed out of her window or something. So I just like wrote about that, and like no one knew this area of his personality. So I guess that you know I, I didn't know how to write. I was only doing writing because I mm -hmm. got fired from my other job. You know I was working illegally, mm -hmm. so I'd write anything. You know if they if they print it, that'd be all right with me. Yeah. I love this. Also in in her autobiography, she calls Eno. <laughs> Because she goes to see, doesn't she do it? She does something about Roxy at one point. Yeah, yeah. the mild-mannered, feathered, bald one. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> she's enamored by by England and thinks, yeah, she's. But she's also getting there at a time when you know it's, it's nothing's very happening. Depressed. But things are 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 bubbling up, percolating, percolating, uh, and no one percolates better than Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood, uh, who invite her to sell their wares, whatever it is, at uh, their King's Road shop, which has multiple names. Many names. Eventually, it's called Sex. Um, but she really gives them credit for helping her crystallize her understanding and importance of fashion i think at a time when it was either for the rich mm -hmm. or totally underground and that element of of sort of underground rebellion uh i think she really appreciated and learned under their uh their tutelage i mean the energy must have been insane at this point because it is a little subculture that is that, that, that is this really surrounding the mclaren and vivian westwood and, and they they're still a few years away from basically but the anger is there the inventing the sex pistols but they they're the anger is definitely there the right transgression is there and this forms her one of the things that I, the, one of the adjectives I'd use to describe her is sort of stridently anti-establishment, whatever the establishment may be. Yeah. And so, uh, in fact, what's kind of uncomfortable about Chrissy in the modern age mm. is that she sees corporate rock as such a um, contradiction in terms. And I, right. I, I, like, at any time they're trying to make her toe a party line, she wants to do the opposite. Just right. In that sort of, in her bloodstream is that rebelliousness and when she plays the game she does it for a paycheck and then she'll instantly throw her her, her uh her masters under the bus yeah let's so, face there's not much of an album there is there <laughs> they all, have the singles yeah well that's what people want these days though isn't it well if they don't want to buy it they don't have to you know I don't. again oh. i've always encouraged people don't buy the record go out and tape it off of someone that has it you know it's well, I, th I think that's what you should do. You know, why spend all your money on records? If yeah. you can tape it, you know, buy a cassette player and tape it. We spend an awful lot of money making good quality stuff, and they can go and tape it off somebody else, and just do it on a scratchy old Sony doing... Well, I used to listen to stuff on a tiny little record it, player, I? and it sounded okay to me. This whole thing about... Um, I had to laugh when I see these... Uh, what is it, the skull and crossbones? That says... Um, you know, people that work for record companies have them stuck on the windscreens of their cars, and it says... Uh, <laughs> Uh, 
home taping is killing music. Like music yeah. And you know, I mean, it's killing the music industry, but it's not killing music. You know, to me, I think we can't get enough of it. You know, but maybe I shouldn't say that because that's what makes me rich. But you know, that's I don't want to be rich, so particularly. But I say, you know, don't buy the record, tape it. What and I'll can... send you a copy of the sleeve you write to the record company. We'll send you a picture of it if you want that to look at. It's fascinating to watch. But so during this time, she's trying to form a band. She doesn't want to be a solo singer. She doesn't want to be. She said basically you could be a torch singer. You right. could be a folk singer as a woman. Or you could be a backup singer. You couldn't really be in a band. There were a couple novelty groups that were sort of all girl groups. But she didn't. She wanted to be in a band. I mean, I, when I went over, I did uh, buy a copy of The Melody Maker and start looking through the back pages for you know ads for vocalists wanted. And I think I made a few phone calls, but it was uh, still something I was keeping pretty quiet. And also, let's, I mean, her voice is uh, contralto. Is that how you pronounce it? I think contralto. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is the lowest register for a woman, uh, for a female voice, uh, which makes her voice unique. Um, maybe not what at the time is thought of as, as a lead vocal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that. I mean, we haven't. So we've, we haven't even we gotten haven't, to the music. We haven't gotten to the music. So what do what do you want to say? Like, um, uh, to get us there, there's more things. Like she almost joins the Damned, or she actually joins an early version of the band that becomes the Damned. Yeah. So I mean, I she think she and Mick Jones hang out together, but right before the Clash forms. Like, that's what's this this crazy thing. So she before that stuff happens, uh, there's a handful of things. She, she's so hungry for this i mean she's she's vacillating between uh rejecting the idea completely like what am i doing with my life mm -hmm. she's nomadic in a sense she goes to france and tries to start a band she goes back to cleveland after uh, she tries to get um uh steve jones to marry her for a for a visa and it doesn't it's johnny rotten and sid vicious the the, the show that we that pistol that came out yeah they had make it steve but it was never steve oh that okay but, yeah, it was actually yeah it was it was right um so she she tries to get a band like an r&b band kind of going in back in cleveland that doesn't work out but malcolm kind of has her on the radar i think it's an he's trying to get something going with Richard Hell in New York, yeah. uh, also the New York Dolls. So he's aware of what he wants to do but hasn't found the people yet. And Chrissy comes back to London around 76, I'm guessing, yeah. or like 77. She's been gone for like a year maybe and doesn't know what she's doing. But Malcolm writes her a letter and yeah. on the strength of this letter, she goes back. Right. Now, she and must he has have, abandoned as we know, she must have her. had in just enormous magnetism as a human being. Because all these, not only are these men sort of clamoring after her, but she's, she, she's talks about not being able to keep her mouth shut ever. And so, like, I think she just got a huge personality and is known for, you know, speaking her mind right. in a way that makes a deep impression on people. She's right. also, you know very sexy and like has, right. has this look that's that's semi-androgynous frankly but it's like yeah. she, it's her own thing and you know the story of her she doesn't do a lot of kiss and tell but it it does seem like a lot of these within that scene she was kind of an it girl but so she she's she's there and all this punk stuff starting to happen yeah, right everybody is forming bands and the the, the i mean we don't have to tell you this <laughs> it's uh 
you know, the beauty of punk in the moment at the time is that it was about not having expertise. And so there's a lot of energy coming from all over as people are trying to gather together and, and make something happen. And for somebody who is a disciple of rock and musicianship and realizes she can play the guitar pretty damn well, um, I think she's hungrier than ever mm-hmm. to make this, this thing happen. And she has, she has Malcolm's brain. She has a, 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 a manager and strategist brain. So she's, she's trying to make this happen however she can. And I would imagine that can get extremely frustrating as she's making strategic moves and it's not working out. She's part of Masters of the Backside, which is Malcolm's, <laughs> <of the> <laughs> okay. Malcolm's uh, band that he puts her in. That, that turns into the damned. That turns into the damned. Um, and then she's part of, there's another, oh, More Murderers, which has Steve Strange and Topper Heaton, Vince Eli, and The Kid, who's Mark Ryan, who was eventually in Adam and the Ants. Um, and then there's all, I mean, and then there's stuff that we've already talked about, which is the stiff record scene so motorhead is coming together there's all the stiff the stiff stuff chrissy and sonia christina um who was in curved air and was married to Stuart copeland who was also in curved air um in the 70s sang backup vocals on mick Barron's vampire stole my lunch money so you can hear uh their backup vocals here on trouble coming every day Like you said, she's right at the beginning of the clash, and it doesn't go her way, and it goes Joe Strummer shows up, and everyone it goes Joe Strummer's way, and not not her way. The Sex Pistols happen. My name is Malcolm McLaren. I have done many things in my time, but the most successful of all was an invention of mine they called punk rock. Let me start from the beginning. I just have four kids. Make sure they hate each other. Make sure they can't play. There was Steve Jobs, 18 years of age. A brilliant cat burglar. I nominated him guitarist. Ah, there was another fellow, old cook, 17 years of age. A phenomenal acrobat. In a one condition, always on time, he had to provide the beat. Put the red out of the shop. I noticed his Dickensian figure. I did not bend for his clean air, and I thought him something out of place in Copperfield. I took the opportunity of confronting him. He pretended to think me an idiot, pushed me aside. Irish and Steve saw his green teeth. We call him Gianni Otten. 
veritable bloody mess. Bashing and jumping all about. He invented the polka. I call them the sex missiles. With the line-up complete, we immediately set about putting our plan into effect. To swindle our way to the top of the rock and roll industry. was to bring us closer. A million pounds. Chris Spedding produces their early stuff. She's friends with Chris Spedding, um, who is everywhere. I mean, he's on Rain Dogs uh, by Tom Waits. He's on Nilsson Schmilson. He's on Here Come the Warm, Warm Jets. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Um, and so just about that time, Chrissy puts together a, like a couple demos. Yeah, he records some of those early demos for them, I think. But... I don't know exactly the steps that it takes, but it's Lem- a, it's a Lemmy, swirling. Uh, who, who's a good, who becomes a good friend of hers, Lemmy from Motorhead. After he shoves a a, a Coke spoon up her nose, her, he doesn't even say hello. He just <laughs> shoves a line of something right up her. They nose. They don't even know her. She says she was up for three days. After that, this <laughs> this monster comes up, walks up to her on a street. But the you know the, the point is this: drugs make you feel better. And as long as they do, people will want them. And as long as people want them, somebody somewhere is going to show up with them, yeah. right? So there's no point saying just say fucking no and all of that stuff. That just doesn't work, you know? She's thinking about possibly wanting to poach the drummer from Motorhead, but instead Lemmy points her in the Filthy direction of, an, of another guy. This guy introduces this person, and, and all of a sudden she meets Pete Varnden, who is becomes right. the bassist for... Uh, who's um, who's from Hereford, right? And who becomes the basis for the Pretenders? So how did you guys? You all lived in the same area or something? You knew each other? Well, what brought the Pretenders together this time? I met Chris. Um, I knew the other two guys from. We all come from the same hometown, a place called Hereford, mm-hmm. about fifty miles out tell. of London. And uh, yeah, you can tell we're all sort of you know that they're sort of country bunkins, incestuous. Really. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you meant by that, but I didn't like it. I think she does do a demo with with Phil Taylor from Motorhead on on drums and and Pete and uh, uh, maybe a couple other people. Uh, thanks to Dave uh, Hill, who becomes her manager and sort of accommodates this yeah. this demo work. But that's only just enough. That's temporary. She's not as much as she wants to poach. Uh, Phil from Motorhead it's just not going to happen so she knows she has to get this chemistry right she has to find these players and thanks to Pete Farndon she makes her way uh, to Jimmy Honeyman Scott yeah now if you look at the early pretenders I mean, basically the first two records have the pictures of the four of them and Farndon is the one who looks like a teddy boy who looks right. like a greaser uh, who's got the black leather jacket on and kind of the 
buff, like this sort of bouffant hair. He basically recommends a couple guys to play guitar, and Jim Honeyman Scott, James Honeyman Scott, is one of those guys. Right. Who's like you know they're he's like twenty three or something like twenty four twenty right twenty two twenty three, and um, he the the only way to get him to come and record is she finds out that she thinks he's the guy because uh, an audition goes well, but the the only way to get him to actually come and record with them is to get Nick Lowe, who we've done an episode on. Yeah. Nick, he's obsessed with Nick Lowe. Now, he's not a punk guy, Jim, James no. Scott, but he's into... If, if Chrissy thinks if she can get Nick Lowe to produce their first single, well, then he'll come and do it with them. James, or she, she, she always calls him Jimmy Scott. Right. Um, and so that's what happens. Again, I think she's very convincing. Yeah. In fact, it's, I've heard her talk about, um, this is fast forwarding way to like 2018, um, and talking about working with some, uh, some, some songwriters in Stockholm or producers, uh, Swedish producers. And she, she was like, it it was, it was really going well. And we thought we had something. And I was like, come on guys, like, let's take it on the road. And she's like, ah, but you know, they just, they wanted to be home with their families. Evidently. I just, I don't have it like I used to, like just not (laughs) persuasive enough. Clearly she's used to like just putting the charm on 11 and always getting her way. I just love that about her that she makes things happen. She makes it happen. Uh, but anyway, that single produced by, uh, by Nick Lowe is a cover, um, and it is this. It is time for you to stop all of That's a kink song. It's an early kink song. And it's a strange choice for a first single. It's the one that Nick chose to do. Yeah. He like had an afternoon that he could devote to this. Right, and like right. he he bashed it out, like he bashes things out. And the it basher. sounds like uh, a Nick it sounds like a Nick Lowe production because it's sort of thin and trebly and, and, and jangly. Jangly and um it it she give the demo tape is, is three of her songs and then that and he they she's a little disappointed that that's what they choose but she also doesn't care because it's Nick Lowe and she loves and respects Nick Lowe right and he's not although he's seen as one of the progenitors of punk in the sense that he was at he was at Stiff and pub rock was seemed as formative for those guys he himself doesn't really like punk I mean he ends right. up producing the Damned their first <laughs> record too so he's there he's definitely yeah, yeah, around yeah, of but he um, well he's a resource and he's skilled yeah. And he's a good time. <laughs> yeah. As we all know. Yeah. Uh, you said something about you have the ability to pick style out of other people. Is that the record producer's job? Well, that sounds like a lot of flannel to me, actually. But uh, I, I, as a record producer, yeah, you have to uh, take the artist that you're producing and find out the best way to get them, bring out the record out of them. Sometimes they don't know themselves. You, you know. produce your own things? Yeah. It's, it's you know difficult. yourself that well? It's difficult to do it with, by, by myself. But... Uh, um, 
Now, it's much easier to do other people, actually, than my own. There are demos of Brass and Pocket. There's uh, demos of Kid uh, on the extended version of this album. But there are two demos that I think are interesting because they kind of... One shows Chrissy's vocals uh, in a way that... that feels appropriate to uh, an era before mm-hmm. and that's do you know uh, Suicide that song no play it play when you talk about your suicide it fills me with a wonder and I wonder do you think it's that easy to get out of here What makes you so sure death can kill your fear? Now that doesn't sound like the Pretenders to me. No, I, and I, I think, I don't know, the early demos are not recorded with Martin Chambers. He's right. another Hereford guy who's like a driving instructor at the time. And uh, he's a monstrous drummer. He's yeah. an amazing drummer. and um, But the, the he doesn't unit. come in until the very last minute before the first album is, yes. is, is recorded. Right, right. Here's the the other demo that I I wanted to play uh, is a song that they end up, well, not this lineup, but she eventually records. uh, But this version sounds so like Emmylou Harris and uh, Graham Parsons. I I was just kind of floored. Let's hear. I drink tequila. Recording that song in its entirety much later, like yeah. I think in 1992, yeah, or something in like the that. 90s. Um, but that uh, that to me brings to mind uh, how how special uh, Honeyman Scott's guitar sound is, and how it complements this punk action and her staccato vocals at times and her almost rapping that that she can do um i mean it doesn't that that vocal styling doesn't doesn't happen here but like his influences are the allman brothers uh i loved this abba he loves abba really yeah huge abba fan jim honeyman scott you ready for this he was influenced by the lead lines and finger vibrato used by mick ralph's of Mott the Hoople. Hoople. I love that. That's not the only Mott the Hoople connection we're going to have in this. Oh, I don't know. I can't wait. Well, I can tell you. Actually, when, when Mott the Hoople reformed as for like a, a British reunion Lions? concert. No, no. When they reformed as <laughs> a reunion concert in like 2013, the original drummer, Dale Buffin, was too oh, yeah. infirm to basically drum outside of a couple different tracks. So who got, who got the gig? 
Oh, Martin? Martin Chambers. Really? He becomes a member of Mott the Hoople. Oh, my in God. Like 2013 and oh, 2015 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, he's ferocious. Um, ferocious. So do you, I mean, do, the, the first album. Let's get into the first album. Well, it's funny because it's recorded. The, the producer they get, they, Nick won't, rec- won't I mean, commit to a whole record. It's incredible. But they, they end get. up getting Chris Thomas. Now, Chris Thomas has just produced the Sex Pistols. But he was, his first production, you know what his first production was? Dark Side? No. Well, his, oh, first, that's, his, that's his first work ever, sorry. He was an production engineer work. Okay, yeah. on uh, the White Album. Like he was, he was basically groomed to be sort of be the next George Martin. Oh my god! And like he thought, there's no way this is ever going to happen. And George is like, I gotta go on holiday. Can you go nip down to the studio and help the Beatles out if they need it? And so he ends up like producing half the tracks on the White Album, uncredited. But yes, he what? does. He does produce a little album called Dark Side of the Moon. He does like six Procol Harum records. I, I've gone down a deep dive on Chris Thomas. I happen to love his his later. I, I celebrate all of his work, but he he, he produces some of Pulp, is, which is one of my favorite groups. So oh yeah, no, I did. I did put together a list of uh, what uh, albums that I thought were striking. That uh, that Chris Thomas worked on. Yeah, well, I do like "Ass" by Badfinger. Yeah, he does some Badfinger work. Um, for your pleasure and Siren. <laughs> Two by inc- Roxy Music. Incredible Roxy Music. A lot of Elton John. Obviously, never mind the bollocks. Uh, he helped In Excess break through. This is hardcore. By the Pulp. Yeah, and and different class. I think he produced. Uh, right. And um, obviously, one of your favorites, I, I assume, All for Love by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, hey. Let's make it all fun, all for love. There's, there's, that's, uh, I remember that. That was for the Three Musketeers uh, live ex- adaptation. Exact, I was going to say Lethal Weapon, like, <laughs> eight, but... <laughs> Well, Chrissy's no stranger to the one-off uh, soundtrack. No, as, contribution as we'll bay- get to. Paycheck. Um, but uh, Chris Thomas is... But he was roped into doing the Sex Pistols. And a lot of people say the reason that, that record sounds so good, actually. If you listen to... Last time you listened... When was the last time you listened to Anarchy in the UK? Like it, I love that album. Honestly, I, I, I listen to it every couple months. I'm not kidding. It's, it's, I love Pretty Vacant. It's, it's one all, of my favorite It's songs. all... It, that's Chris Thomas making sure... I mean, it was such pandemonium. And, yeah. you know, Chrissy's on record as saying, like, the... The punk thing for real was about six months. and then I it- love this so much because it only makes sense that it would work this way. I, I wonder if there are other movements that – I feel like it's the only movement that, that has, has rolled out this way. And the, I think the reason it was six months, and maybe she's the one who, who says this, it's because they're musicians mm-hmm. – and eventually they want to be better. Yeah. And that's anti-punk. So really, punk can only last as far as its first generation when they're shit. Mm-hmm. And once they decide to do better, it's not punk anymore. And it's over. There's like a picture in her, by the way, in her autobiography of like the first Ramones show in the UK. And like there's like 20 people there. And Chrissy Hines, one of them. I mean, it's like she again. She's everywhere. She's absolutely everywhere. She's also like she talks about the people that would they they, they go around, they tour and they start getting some gigs. And all of a sudden, you know, the only thing that punks listened to was reggae. Right. And I almost didn't realize that because there's so much reggae in her in her on. There's always a couple of reggae tracks on every record. And, yeah. And I. You know, white reggae is not 
my my thing. I'll yeah. just put put it out there. And I'm like, I just reggae in general is not. I don't go there. But they all thought that the future of music was reggae, right? Not right. punk, not rock. And so she, um, but I she talks about you know like touring and watching a band open from a band from Birmingham. She's like, you guys are really good. You guys should play with us. It turns out it's UB40. You know, right. like, right. and uh, she goes on to have a huge hit. She, she duets with them on a couple different songs, yeah. but it's, there's, there's all this reggae thing happening as well. And Don Letts is around and, and he actually think directs the video for, uh, back on the chain gang. Or, oh, really? Or yeah. One of the early, uh, videos of, uh, of the pretenders. Anyways, there's so much happening. She's at ground zero, but finally this record gets produced and it's like Chris Thomas. He's just recorded Back to the Egg by Oh, that's McCarthy. the other one I wanted to mention. Just that that, in contrast to all the punk stuff, is and he, like... And he says it was not a great experience because Paul doesn't didn't really let him produce that much. And, right. And, uh, and then in the afternoons, basically, he's like, I want to take a break for a little while. I'm overbooked and I'll just do like some short sessions with the Pretenders. And it just totally clicks. It works so well. I mean, I read sort of over and over how powerful a debut this this was. These albums that that just kind of explode onto the scene. I I, I think this was one of those, and it, it it certainly looks and sounds like it because every song is a winner. Yeah, it's so every good. single song. Like I, I, I have a hard time picking, picking songs from honestly the the first two albums. They're they're just a stream of incredible work, and every song to me feels different. Yeah, uh, it's a, a lot it's of a range, winner. and that's what Thomas said. He's like the four songs he got from them on the demo. There's so much range between those songs, and. You know, Chrissy was writing punk songs, and then Jimmy Scott was much more interested in sort of pop music, and it's the marriage of those two things that it, what is what works so well. Plus, she's just a personality again. I mean, right. so what's your? Where would you go on the on the first record? Should what should we play? I mean, I again, I don't know what to play because I want to play them all. Everything, everyone does something different. I th- I do think it's worth pointing out. Um, so I, I pulled this this quote from a uh, a reviewer about Precious, which is the first track, which explodes, on, you know, onto the album. Uh, she said, "Dozens of women, otherwise amicably amicably engaged with partners, would stop short and mouth along with Hines' switchblade sharp delivery of her famous fuck off line." Predictably. There were men on the same dance floor bemoaning Hines' macho stance, so different from the woman they knew. Hmm. Let's hear it. I was feeling kind of ethereal, cause I... I had my annual imperial, you saw. Now how are the duck and Mr. Stress both stayed? Trapped in a world that they never made. But not me, baby, I'm too pressed to have a fuck off. You made me wanna. You made me wanna. You made me make it. Oh, it's so me.
all the 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 groaning and and the sort of side mouth lines that she does are are so pro front person yeah so rock star but so uniquely hers and then her sexuality that just pours out of her but she also wields perfectly is is so powerful and is so unique to her and this band and what makes them partially what makes them so special i mean one of my favorite like like songs on there is up the neck which is yeah guitar sort of mixed with sort of male organ uh and it's it's i mean it's so good though it's it's so good love everything she does meaning everything she does in a song there's so much shifting ground her vibrato her start stop action that she does it's like it's it's deconstructed it's it's bare but then sometimes she'll just soar with with vocals and emotion yeah and then over the the course of this album then talk sing a little bit yeah yeah, talk sing but like starting the album with precious feels like such a smart move uh and strategic of course that it's this it's it's riding the momentum of punk. It feels like it should be a punk song, but as you go through this album, things change. No, it, it's, it's not punk. It's, it's not punk. It's and you can even hear on that not, on up the neck, like the yeah. jangle is is all Jimmy Scott, and it gets um, there. There's he's doing a lot. I mean, he says that basically these songs were written, and he kind of comes and sweetens them up a little bit right and you can hear it big time on i mean i'm i'm not going to tell you you could probably guess what my favorite song on here is it's not brass and pocket which is great but mine's not either i actually i can't guess i don't know what kid i think kid is well, a perfect song it's got everything i like in a song it's it talk about it's it's a song about a uh, a, a child, a kid finding out that his mother's a, a prostitute, and she's like, "Not all songs are autobiographical," and uh, <laughs> and it's uh, beautiful, but it also contains one of the most be- perfect solos ever put down on tape. It's the solo that Johnny Marr, the Smiths, says like he used to use to warm up pre-show. Oh wow! And it's, it's a it's a perfect few bars. I'm gonna play a little bit of Kid because I can never get enough of this song. <laughs> He 
I actually, now that you play it, I, I, it, it, it makes so much sense that that's your favorite song. Yeah. It sounds a little big starry almost. It definitely has that vibe. It's a power pop sort of tune. And it's that's just when she was sort of getting interested in, in pop a little bit. It sort of gave her the permission to be more interested in that. But that yeah. to me, talk about the, 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 the line between tender and tough. Like... Right. That's it. Right. And and to sing from as like from the mother's point of view. No one in rock and roll it's sung from the mother's point of view. Not, she'll do it again. Rock. Oh, she'll definitely do it again. <laughs> I'm a mother. <laughs> that's that's I don't know if that's the best example of it, but the, the kid is is a perfect song. It's a perfect recording. It's a perfect performance. I love everything about it. Yep. Yep. And it's yeah. So spoiler alert, that's very much in my top five. So Well, we should probably talk about Brass and Pocket a little bit. Oh yeah, sure. Now Brass and Pocket's one of these songs like I guess Jimmy Scott has a riff that he's just playing around with. Oh. She takes it. there's not that many co writes between them, but she takes this sort of guitar figure that he's playing that da, 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 da. it's kinda and she writes a sort of an R and B song on yeah, top of it. Right. She says maybe it's a Motown yeah, thing. but it's not a Motown thing. No, and yet it also doesn't really have a chorus. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but it's so damn catchy and so perfect. And it's, uh, she. I remember her reading her talking about how it's about like sort of the cockiness you need to adopt to be on stage. Right. right? Some people think it's about the the cockiness of of marking who you're going to have sex with, and and. And following through, yeah. Um, I think, I think it's, it's, it's probably both. It's probably both. There's right? definitely she's making love to the audience. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was. Uh, I, I remembered very clearly because when MTV first hit, like anyone might, we all, all my friends and I just gather around the TV and would and would watch it. And I remember you had a, a video where you had the mirror. You had a, a, a mirror. Oh, the chrome scratch plate. The chrome scratch plate. And I remember thinking, because I'm a guitar buff, that is the coolest thing in the world. And you said that it actually came in useful to have a reflective. Well, you can pick out, if you have the chrome scratch, first of all, I could always flip the guitar over and see if my makeup was all over my face. <laughs> so it was kind of a vanity it thing. It was a vanity so mirror, check yeah. My eye yeah. And also, uh, I could catch the lights, and you could, I could see if there was a cute guy in the audience. I could, like, you know, watch him all night. <laughs> yeah. The only problem is that if it's an outdoor venue, you, if it's an outdoor venue, you could set him on fire. <laughs> That's a cute guy. <laughs> For me, I always think of the video where she's like the she's like the waitress in the in the diner and I don't, waiting on the guys. I don't and, know it. I and don't it's think kind I of like that. she's sashaying a little bit between them, but it's she she also she looks like Flo, you know, from uh, <laughs> uh, what's that show? Um, yeah, uh, uh, Maud. Yeah, that that show. But it's um it's a great little video. It was played. It was it used to be played on MTV all the time. Got this. In pocket, I got battle. I am gonna use it. Intention, I'm feeling mental. Gonna make you, make you, make you notice. Got motion, mystery emotion. I've been diving, detailing. No reason, just seems so.
Madison Pocket, like huge, hit. huge, huge hit. hit. This 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 record comes out. And That's it the thing. Like this is what she's always wanted, and it happens. Yeah. First record, it happens in the U.S. Yeah. U.K. and U.S. She's ruling. Now we haven't mentioned that this is a band again with an American lead singer and songwriter. And three English guys, all from right. Hereford. This is not... That's not a thing. I mean, it's kind of Fleetwood Macs. Like, you know, transatlantic right. bands are hard to find. Right, 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 right. But with this kind of... It hasn't been really seen before. Um, no. And it's so cool. It's so cool. It adds to the cool factor with her. I mean, the cover picture itself. Like, these... it's it's They look like Cheap Trick almost. But... Yep. Uh, we're around that same time. They're kind of cut from the same cloth, but she's got more attitude because she's her pedigree is also English. Some bands might, especially at that time or even today, might tout, "Oh, it's a woman. It's a it's a gender thing." That was never interesting interesting to you. Like you didn't care. It didn't seem like anyone in the band cared. This is a woman. We're a man, or they're a man. I'm a woman. Yeah. No. You know. Th- I think it's a myth that's created outside of music because. Uh, you know, in music, people just want to, it's about the sound. Mm-hmm. And as long as everyone's sounding like they want to sound, everyone's happy with that. Right. And, you know, I, I was good at bringing out the best in those guys. So they were just glad for that. And the gender thing, they probably thought it was a pain in the ass, to be honest. I'm sure they did. But, you know, um, you know, the band was great. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was a great band leader. The... I mean, we'd do television, and my hair would be sticking out in the back, and then later I'd see a clip, and I think, why didn't anyone tell me that? And I knew they were all having a, you know, a laugh at my expense. She's basically lived the rest of her life in England. Yeah, I mean, f- f- hey, Madonna, sorry, Chrissy did the 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 <laughs> anglicized voice, yeah. like um, Anglo uh, Anglo American voice before you did. Oh, I know the she, British voice. She has that way of talking. There were other artists that were, you know, coming up before me. I'd say that inspired me like Chrissy Hine from the pretenders I mean there, there are people that were already doing well before me and I, I looked at them and I said oh they're strong women and they're doing what they want and, and that was inspiring to me so I think it's an, a lot of people say it's one of the best debut records ever made it's mm. sort of a perfect record start to finish and pretenders 2 is is one of those it's like you know Halloween 2 it just picks up right where the action stopped yeah you know it just it, rolls it gets right kind in kind of a bad rap it just in in and because it's like part of it was recorded as an EP and part of it they were sort of on the road and she thought she'd be able to write more but and it every time you read about it pe- people sort of put it down a little bit just in in relation to pretenders 1 but I think Pretender Two is Pretenders Two is incredible. I think I, I for me right now, yeah. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think I think it's better for me right now. Yeah, like, I like it more. What? Where do you gravitate toward? Because Chris Thomas is behind the dials again. I mean, it's not. It's like... the same. It's it's you know it's part it's part two, and the cover is not that different than than yeah. part one. It's just sort of the inverse. It's dark and closer on them. The one wonders did. Prince take a look at that and be like, I'm going to start dressing like this in about three years. I, I would never like, second guess Prince. I mean, it was just like uh, she would look so cool. And you see, if you check live footage of her, then she's still she's wearing these like, you know, ruffle Those jackets with the huge ruffle shirts and the jackets yeah. and like leather pants. She just looks amazing. Um, honestly, and it's uh, spoiler alert it's in my top five this may be surprising first track The Adulteress Ooh. I'm the adulteress I didn't want to be 
song and it to me it does what precious does it's just like here's a whole lot of attitude right at the front so you don't think i'm not fucking around yeah and you don't think that i'm not still the shit yeah you know and then let's get into the rest of the album the next next song is bad boys get spanked (laughs) i mean that's pretty evocative to my ears message of love which is a total downshift but um still another, another great solo i go to sleep is on here which is another ray davies song and yep. for this point she's met ray they're starting to get together they they famously marry for about you know a second a second but they have a kid together yep um and there's some for me the two the two songs on this that just absolutely kill me are uh, Talk of the Town and uh, Louie Louie. I love both of those. I have to play. The beginning of Talk of the Town to me is just such a unexpected way into the song. And it's I think it's a lot of it's Hunt, Jim Honeyman Scott, like what he's bringing to it. But listen to the way this song begins. Something so intense. One thing leads to another. I know. Was a time I wanted you for mine. Nobody knew. You arrived like a day and passed like a cloud. I made a wish. I said it out loud. Out loud in a cloud. Everybody heard. Twas the talk of the town. So musical. So I know, and also it's so interesting and unexpected. You never know where these songs are going to go. Part of that, you know, she, so she's writing in very weird time signatures. She's, told, she's <laughs> kind think? of self-taught. Like, no one right, can, like, right. figure it out. Like, they basically just have to memorize her. And, and she's known as an amazing rhythm guitarist, but if you listen to her rhythms, it's like Jimmy Scott says, in, he said in interviews, it's like basically... I don't know what Chrissy's going to do, so I f- I'm always behind her. I'm always sort of like, and and that's what makes our sound is me basically following her in a way oh that I don't God. know where I'm going, and she oh, thinks we're so interlocked, awesome. but I have no idea what the hell's going on. It's and improvisational. The, and the uh, and because her rhythm is it's unexpected and it creates these weird song structures that stump that the rhythm section brings together. Yeah, and they're rock songs, but yeah. there's strange stops and starts. There's really weird time signatures that right. anytime like they have to get another drummer in to like help do a live thing like they don't know where they are in these songs <laughs> and it's like chambers is, chambers is basically had going to, poorly yeah he's had to and, and farndon too they work they have to rehearse night and day to like iron out and she's not fucking around either no no she's like you get this or you Shh. get out of here <laughs> but then you have um, yeah sorry well i just want to play uh 
a part of a song, and that's the end of Birds of Paradise. Uh, I love Birds of Paradise. Which just, again, it's unexpected. I mean, she has a way of kind of, of luring you in and, and keeping keeping you at a certain pace. But then this thing, it just, it it's like a tidal wave. Back in the things I remember One time when we took off our clothes But you were crying You said nothing lasts forever We were happy together I thought about you in Stockholm Such a good song. I just feel like that's so rare for her to really like throw it all out. And then you have horns on the last song, Louie Louie, which is not a cover of Louie Louie. It's a song. It, I mean, listen to this. Never fade away And that will I'm alive Hey, 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 hey Then come the Cossacks The wrong spiders The super gliders Burning tears, flicking clams All the tears, yeah Hey, 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 sort of doing James Brown there and yeah. she loves James Brown and a lot of times she doesn't think that the English guys get her references because she's just using uh, you read her book and she's basically saying yeah I was I was doing this thing or I was cribbing that and like they just I just had, had much better radio in yeah. in America right. that they had they didn't know these records right right so this is the, the second one and it, it does well it doesn't do quite as well but it does well um, and then it all explodes. <laughs> and then, like, this is probably the reason why we're talking about this today. Is like, so, so, uh, so 
Farndon is so washed out. He's he's become a heroin addict. He's a heroin addict and is basically dysfunctional. And um, she fires him. I mean, I can remember getting high with Pete myself when I had to go in to record. Uh, um, I was doing the vocal on Lovers of Today. I was thinking about it this morning, and I, I couldn't hit any high notes because I was stoned. I, I never did that again. I was really quite ashamed of myself to go in in that sort of a state. But Pete just progressively went, seemed to go get more and more into it. And, and that's... Uh, he wasn't really owning up to us how, you know, what sort of a state he was in. I guess we all sort of guessed. But it was more of a personal and a musical thing. It, it was everything. It was right across the board. It's very hard to, to put into a nutshell and obviously quite, you know, painful. You know, before he died, it was... I, I still couldn't come to terms with the whole situation, firing him and everything, and I never mm. got a chance to sit down and make it up again because well, I suppose it's very, very much like a divorce, you know. You know things are going horribly wrong, but you just can't seem to work it out, and it probably takes years and years and, and, and of regrets, and, um, and it's a very painful thing to happen, and, and you just don't seem to be able to help it. Mm. And that's how I felt after that. I just kept feeling like it was a... I thought, now I know what it must be like to go through a divorce, because nothing could be more like that than, than what we went through with him. I think Pete, Pete was a real gentleman for a start. I mean, it was a very, very traumatic period of time. I mean, from because the things were going downhill rapidly, and it was it was at rehearsals that it showed a lot too. Because that that is the most important part of a band to, to a point is rehearsing the new soft stuff and rehearsing stuff to go on the road. And it's, if that isn't working, there is no band, and that was basically what was happening. So yeah, was we like, weren't. It was taking a long time to work out new mm. material, and uh, you know we have to talk about it now because. People who are interested in the band want to, you know, really want to know what the story is, where's Pete and all that, but it's such a personal thing and it was, you know, a personal tragedy. I know for me, I, I only speak for myself now, but um, as, as we didn't ever, it doesn't seem like we ever really explained it very well to him. I feel it's not fair that we're explaining it to the rest of the world and I don't even know if he ever understood, so. And two days later, uh, Jimmy dies of a cocaine-related overdose. And it's odd because he wasn't that big of a of a party. I mean, he wasn't that big of a drug... I mean, I mean I, she says the last time she saw Pete Farndon was at Jimmy's funeral, and he's sort of looking at her like, you fired me, and he's in a coffin right now? Right, right. But I think it was some sort of interaction of, of, of drugs that, like, he just was susceptible to right and it, it was just a, was kind a, of a freak it was thing. a bad night but he was only 25 i think he's a really young did guy. you see that um uh he's credited with discovering the violet femmes who opened for the pretenders in milwaukee no i didn't that, know that. was a neat little tidbit were you looking forward to uh, a good future with jimmy at the time that he died well he was the keenest of the lot at that point well you probably mm. were as well of course i was pregnant Mm. And, um, oh, Jim was gung-ho. He couldn't wait to get back in the studio. We were going to record Chain Gang. And he, he'd actually, I'd spoken to him when he, he'd been in Dallas and I was in London. We'd had a bit of time off. And he'd, I spoke to him on the phone and he said, he, he, he says, oh, I've, we were talking about the song Chain Gang. And he was saying, oh, I got a load of new chords for this one part. And I was playing it last night. And he was well into it. And he was very gung-ho to go out and find a, a bass player. Farndon dies a year at, later. A year later. 
But he's I mean, no he's already out of the band. Of the band yeah. But so that leaves two people left in the pretenders. And they're shell shocked. And the next three or four years is, is today we would just say they're traumatized. Yeah. Because in her book, she would say that this is really a story. It's a story about music, but it's also a story of uh, substance abuse. That's really, if you want to get down to like, she, she's sober now yeah. and all that stuff. But she she's basically, they did we did what junkies did. We just did yeah. lots and lots of drugs. And it started out, we could handle it. And then until we couldn't. Right. And Which is all of a sudden, she's looking around and two guys have died. I mean... Were, kind of quote unquote in her care it's like you know it's 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 like the bus accident version uh where you know the bus bus crashes at night night and half your band is dead yeah you know it's it's the same thing it's traumatic it's uh i mean again her dream has come true yeah (laughs) these two albums uh establish her in the music world she has hits uh, she has her own sound. She is, uh, you know, she's a rock star. She's a real deal. And all of a sudden, everything's pulled out from under her. Also, the thing with Ray Davies is not working out. No. Um, and she has a daughter. She has like a, daughter. a baby infant daughter. And so all of that combined uh, makes for a crisis. Fortunate for us in many respects that sometime before Jimmy's death, we considered having an, a, another person on the road with us, on stage, a guitarist probably, because Jimmy played great keyboards too. So the idea was to get another guitarist and then maybe Jimmy could play keyboards in certain He songs. did play great keyboards, didn't he? Oh yeah. So I mean, that was the idea. So obviously after Jimmy's death, the, the you know, he knew this chap, Robbie McIntosh. So after Jimmy's death, he was the obvious person to get in touch with to start off auditions and he proved to be you know great so after a couple of days of auditioning loads and loads of guitarists uh, it seemed obvious to us that we would persevere with Robbie and uh, see how things worked out and then a friend of his who was a bass player Malcolm Foster who Jim had also expressed an interest so yeah and they're you know they're rehearsing back on the chain gang with Jimmy Scott like he'd worked on arranging it with her and stuff like that and she he was he was very keen to get this guy Robbie McIntosh in to play and Robbie doesn't play on back on the chain gang but Chris Thomas sort of gets them together and the song's really about Ray um, right initially right sort of dedicated to Jimmy but it's 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 was ultimately written about Ray, which right. he's talking about. I found a picture of you, the happiest days of our lives. It's right. an unbelievably heart-wrenching and beautiful song that also has a direct shout-out to Alan Toussaint. Oh, really? Yeah, she I says... I, well, because she said... That oh, working on the... Ch- on the chain gang, Lee it's, Dorsey. It's, it's all straight from working on a coal mine. Right. She, and she says that in her book. She's like, no one else got it. Right. Like, Ooh. Ah. Ah. I, yeah. Ha. She said that I was right me away. cribbing directly from Lee Dorsey and now Toussaint. Right. Which totally. I, I thought that was so cool. I thought that was so cool, too. And she uses like a special chord that, uh, you know, George Harrison had kind of invented for if I needed someone or something like that. But she's... And Billy this, Bremner is playing on this track, right? She gets Billy Bremner from Rockpile, who'd been playing with all the Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds stuff. Right. He comes in to do... You know, he's doing the the, the, the actual guitar work on right. that track. Who I guess was kind of a hero of Jimmy's. Jimmy's. And like he she and she she says in many different places that the reason they had to do it, she wanted to keep going, was in tribute to 
Jimmy and Pete, but mainly Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Like that's her sort of musical partner. When you formed the Pretenders, what, what were you after? Was it sort of a specific sound that you wanted, or did you know at the time what you wanted? Well, it was very influenced by the people I was working with. I'd written these songs, but uh, you know, it was meeting James Honeyman Scott that really brought the melody out in me because I, I was pretty punked out at the time, mm. and I didn't have, uh, you know, I, I had denied my melodic tendencies. Um, I did have a vision, you know. mm. but you can hear what the vision was. Mm. I can't describe it any better. Mm. So that's why she keeps going. And she starts in from mid-82 to 83, they're recording Learning to Crawl. And uh, Martin Chambers is still there. And I guess, you know, Paul Carrick plays on that, who plays on all the Roxy stuff and Squeeze. And And there's a reason why it's called Learning to Crawl. It's, It's a restart. It's a total restart, and um, that that but that launches them into the stratosphere because back in the chain gang is huge. Middle of the road, I mean, our well, I'll, I think we should play back on the chain gang. Let's hear it. Um, and uh, before we do, I just want to say two things. I realized I think I said at the top of this episode that brass and pocket on the radio. No, it was it was back in the chain gang which was the thing on the radio that i heard all the time that was the pretenders um and also it before uh learning to crawl back on the chain gang was released as a single and it was on the soundtrack for king of comedy by martin scorsese which is a fantastic and maybe in my opinion his best movie. Whoa, that's it's 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 for sure underrated. It's wonderful if you haven't seen it. By you the have way, to see I'm it. gonna just take a moment to plug. <laughs> Didn't I blow your mind? It's a new podcast that my co-host here, Lex, has started with uh, uh, Duncan Duncan Birmingham. Birmingham. Yep, and uh, well, of sound listeners who want to sort of take forays into the wild world of. Hollywood B and C tier yeah, cinema for sure. uh, with two extremely adept and charming uh, guides. I would recommend it to you. We'll, we'll oh, put, the, we'll put you. the link in the show notes because it really kind. should be there. But uh, yeah, wow. King of Comedy. That also has like, the, the, I think, uh, a Robbie Robertson song on it that one of the only ones he did sort of before after the band. That's a great sort of, uh, I mean, of course, there's a lot of music in Scorsese movies, but After Hours and King of Comedy, back to back, I, I both of those movies are fantastic and have a lot of this type of either like New York art wave music mm-hmm. or new wave music, punk, all that stuff is happening in those Scorsese movies. Wow. And Pretenders is one of them, and I'll play it back on the chain game right now.
gym all the time, you know, you see a... I'll, I'll be playing, you know, and I'll see a chick up in the, one of the front rows with really big tits, you know, and I'll turn and I'll think like, oh, Jim must be, he's got to see this. You know, I mean, he was just a... I only think of, of Jim in a, in a very, you know, humorous light, so... I feel like that song really is notable in this story because it does feel like so much has been stripped away. The attitude is not there. She's really vulnerable. Yeah, she's been... Vocally she's been broken down. I mean, she's got that that out. That song is all heart and feeling and hooks and melody. But it's it's a perfect. I think it's another like kid. I think it's another perfect song. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't imagine how it could be improved upon. Um, and it's just uh, a crowning achievement. And I just uh, <laughs> I found a picture of you <laughs> that hijacked my world at night oh from a place in the past we've been cast out of. I mean, these are all. And that her her wonderful oh 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 oh, oh. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's just such a and the the record the learning to crawl it opens with middle of the road boom 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 which has another oh which that's, has sorry another, that's like, my city it's gone oh, oh oh and it's got that amazing um you know I I don't know like fat cats what was it um, the, the incredible bridge towards the end where I've got, got a kid I'm 33 I'm not oh yeah yeah I yeah used to be like let's hear that part. breaks into that harmonica solo which oh my is god it's so good um in the middle of the road you see the darndest things like fat guys driving around in jeeps <laughs> through the city wearing big diamond rings and silk suits past a corrugated tin shack filled up with kids oh man i don't mean a hampstead nursery when you own a big chunk of the bloody third world the babies just come with the scenery oh come on baby <laughs> It also has kind of a rock pile sound too. I know it's not Bremner on. It's not Bremner on. So Macintosh comes in and he's on this record. Yeah. And I think he. I think he plays on the next one too. There's a. There's musical chairs that occur from yeah. here on out. But Macintosh. The interesting. The way I knew who Robbie Macintosh was is he was in Paul McCartney's band. Yeah. In we talked about the flowers and the dirt in that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in his band from I think late after he leaves. You know the truth is. Because one thing we haven't mentioned about Chrissy is she's a deeply devoted vegetarian and oh, yeah. uh, an animal rights activist, and that's how she sort of made headlines in the in the '90s, especially like throwing paint on people. I do feel a, like a bit of a target, like anyone in my position, especially with my big mouth, you know. <laughs> but I'm I'm dead keen on anything that can uh, aid the uh, the ecological cause then I, I'll always lend myself and be there. Be it, you know, the links or uh, anything concerning the vegetarian crusade. Anything that aids the, 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 the environmental crises that we're in. Because mm. to me, that's all, it, it's, it's 
all part of uh, the same issue. They're not really isolated, but you can put, lend your weight to where you, know, you see there's a neglected area. Does it get you into trouble, your big mouth? Um, I, it, it can do. It creates too much fuss and, and attention, and that, you know, that threatens my private life a little mm. bit, if you can call it a private life, but you know, my home life. That's why she's beco she becomes actually such good friends with Morrissey is because of this, and Linda McCartney. Right. So. Oh, right. And she's a she. She actually sort of organized the concert for Linda. I think that after she yep. died. Yep. And um, yeah, she's the one who suggests to Linda that they hi that Paul hires Robbie McIntosh when he hires him, uh, and he plays on the Flowers and the Dirt, the Tripping the Life Fantastic Tour and all of that. And he's around that orbit for a while, but he plays on Learning to Crawl. And there's a you know middle of the road and and back on the Chang Gang that's just the one two punch that begins the record but that's not all there is on the record because what else is on there? Uh, my city was gone. Yeah, which uh, you it's know is ex yeah it's exactly what you were talking about which is there is nostalgia there for the place she came from. She's seeing uh, uh, her birthplace get destroyed and and seeing development that's that's casting away uh its history and um it's painful for her she eventually as you said she invests in akron um and she opens a vegetarian restaurant vegetarian? there uh, yeah 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 <laughs> i like the title that's i like so the name good. vegetarian um so that's there and interesting and i think comes at a time when she's probably reflecting on on her past as a result of this calamity um and then 2000 miles is is on that's there. the 2000 i mean that's the other immortal song here I mean, yeah. it's hard to be, when you begin a record with the one two punch like that middle of the road and 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 back on the chain middle game. of the road by the way it, 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 to me the, those words coming out of her mouth <laughs> is kind of hilarious because that it's almost she's almost allergic to middle of the she's allergic uh, to, but she's she's referring to i think the doubt of ching or something like that she she is like, but she also has an aversion to middle of the road oh, totally, music totally and yet this is also a more commercial direction yeah um but 2000 miles now that song is written about jimmy For scott jimmy yeah and that's becomes this great christmas song yeah, um, it's it is probably, uh, you know, I've, we've done an episode where we talked about Christmas songs before, but if it's not in my top five, it's certainly in my top ten yeah. Christmas songs of all time. Um, it's wonderful. It's so good, and she said it. it I, we wrote that song. The snow was coming down outside, oh. and like Leicester Square or something. And this is exactly that. That song sounds like it looked outside the window where we were recording it. Let's play it. And it's got a, the best fade in of all time. Like, so hard to begin a song like that. He's It's so perfectly a love song, too. I mean, you can imagine it 
at the in the third act of a romantic comedy as they the lovers have been torn apart and uh you know he shows up on her doorstep I mean, type of that, thing that, it does that. have that vibe uh even though it's about jimmy who is not far, far, and never coming back. Yeah, and you know, she they also recover a thin line between love and hate on there. Um, yeah, which is a that's what song. Paul Carrick is on. That, that's what he's on, and she's always um, she. It's very important to her, like Nick Lowe. In fact, that's the only thing I can uh, recall. It's not a Motown song. It's by originally by the the Persuaders. It's nineteen seventy one. She always wants to have one cover on every album. Oh, really? So, yeah. Well, the first album has Stop Your Sobbing. Second one has I Go to Sleep. Third right. one has Thin Line Between Love and Hate. Um, yeah. And and she's just sort of to be to, to showcase stuff she loves because she's such a fan. Yeah. So, from there, it gets it gets a little, you know, I, I mean, th- those are the, that's usually the triumvirate of classic Pretenders records. But yeah. I was so surprised by a lot of the great stuff that comes after that. But... So, she... Fires Martin Chambers <laughs> while they're recording the next record, which is Get Close. Right. Yeah. It's always the drums in groups. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. I think that's well documented now. How would you characterize drummers then, say? <laughs> Generally. Um, they're there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the best you could talk about them. I Martin, suppose. will you leave the room? <laughs> She's gonna slow. She wants to slow down intentionally, and she doesn't want to feel chained to any corporate thing where they have to put out a record every two years and tour. Like she's gonna do it her way. Right. So yeah, she fires Chambers and records uh, with Bob Clearmountain, Jimmy Iovine, and uh, Steve Lillywhite. I mean, what a trio! I mean, crazy. So I really like Get Close. What do you think of Get Close? Um, there is one song on there that uh, also in my top five um and it is i think the first time i saw chrissy hind Mm -hmm. uh was and i mentioned it before actually i think on the nick lowe episode uh that 15 year anniversary snl special uh that had you know looking back on all the sketches and all the different uh-huh. casts in whatever whatever 50 that's 1990 i guess yeah um so and then there was that section that was the, the all the musical guests yeah and okay. there was the, this vast assortment of performances i think i was talking about it because i was i was talking about that elvis costello thing where you stop stop yeah, yeah. you know where you stop radio radio yeah yeah um and uh and there were so many performances by artists doing songs. I think Grace Jones is on there, who also covers a Chrissy Hine song. But um, that were striking to me. That snapped me out of my classic rock FM education that I had. And I saw these really interesting performers that I had never seen before. And Chrissy Hine was one of them. And while I think now... Don't get me wrong is not uh, that drastic or shocking of a song. I think for my brain then it was. It's got this odd feel to it. It is poppy. She, and she wrote and it for light. John McEnroe, didn't she? Really? Yeah. She's like loves John McEnroe and wrote it for him, and he was like deeply flattered because I think he was. I think he, he the quote "Don't get me wrong" was a quote from him. I love John. You McEnroe. can imagine how she would be 
find a kindred spirit in John McEnroe. A hundred percent. You guys are the absolute pits of the world, you know that? I think he even plays on the next record, because he's a musician right, too. Right, right, right. But well, yeah. let's hear it. I mean, I love it because it's fun for once. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it shows that she can do a really poppy thing and it be simple. Yeah. That's, um, it's a chugging little song, a little ditty. I love it. I, I, I think it's great, too. I mean, for me, the album, though, it's it's all about the ending of it. I, think no, I that, thought you were going to say dance. No, there's some <laughs> crappy stuff on there, too. Like yeah. she, she gets into kind of some funk that I just never... It's convincing to me, but... Um, yeah, I like I like when I change my life, but I and don't get me wrong, but I really love Chill Factor and oh, yeah. Him to Her. Yep. Which is written by her childhood friend, Meg Keen. It's one of her yep. most beautiful uh, songs. It's it's kind of perceived as a feminist anthem. I mean, make of it what you will. It's just a stunning, gorgeous, uh, moving song. And then stick do a cover of uh, Hendrix Room Full of Mirrors, in which you can finally hear uh, Hendrix's influence on her and it's a strange song it's the only song on the record the only only song on the record that's got uh, chambers on it mm. um, but it's worth it's worth hearing this, how uh, this songs I've wanted to do. I, I probably could easily put together a, a, an album of cover songs. Two albums. You know, but it was a song that I held close to my heart for since the first Jimi Hendrix album. Did you used to be a fan of his? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, of course. <laughs> Who wasn't? <laughs> Did it influence your way of playing guitar when you learned to play the guitar? Uh, unfortunately, I can't say that he influenced my guitar playing. I think my guitar playing isn't isn't really up to that. <laughs> but he's influenced my lifestyle. In what way? Well, I think uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, by copying what we imagined he was doing, it did sort of lift us out of this sort of mundane um, lifestyle that we, we had grown accustomed to in America. Mm. Was it, was, he... it was a period of cosmic consciousness and mind expansion. Were you into that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Did yeah. you... We took lots of LSD. <laughs> so. Did you learn anything from, from that, that attitude, that, that sort of whole area that, that he was in? 
I don't know. I learned something when I was growing up, you know. I've learned a lot in the last 20 years. I think, I thought I knew a lot when I was 20, but it's taken me another 20 years to get some realization and experience. It was a different time. It's, it would be very hard to compare a time 20 years later in pop music because uh, pop music so much reflects the, the, the flavor of the moment. Um, I've got a quote here for kind of what was going on and why she fired Chambers. It's not totally illuminating, but it, it does kind of get into her headspace at the time. <clears throat> she said, Martin... <laughs> Martin was playing crap. Martin just fucking lost it. And to think about it, why shouldn't he have lost it? He just lost his two best friends. I was insane. I was traumatized. But you don't know it at the time. I was trying to keep my shit together. To be honest, Martin was playing crap. And I knew musically I was losing my inspiration. But I tried too hard and come too far to let it all go. So Martin went instead. Yeah, and then he's the scapegoat a little bit. Yeah, and then Malcolm Foster, who's um, playing bass, he quits based on the 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 Chambers dismissal. Um, so essentially, she's back on her own again, and it uh, she doesn't really produce anything studio wise until 1990 there's a greatest hits album Wait, she think, also think, marries jim kerr from simple minds isn't there doesn't she does she does two songs on the soundtrack oh, to the living soundtrack? daylights <gasps> yeah they're both good movie. songs uh sometimes there's a man and uh, uh she works with john barry on the songs oh wow um, that's fun you know, aha sings the wow so that's a that's a bond theme there's there's a bond theme that's oh. uh it, well it, the aha sings the actual theme oh. but her song is at the end and okay. it's right, great right, 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 it's right, right. a great song and um yeah i think it's it's worth it's worth listening to for sure Bond theme is definitely a box to check. Yeah, on the, the do-it-all list. She also reunites with uh, Nick Lowe for a one-off cover of "Windows of the World" for um, uh, that has uh, Johnny Marr on guitar. He oh, plays. Wow. He plays with the Pretenders for a little while here. In this phase. In this phase, the late '80s phase. But she's a, she's a little bit adrift here. Um, yeah. It gets to 1990. She puts out Pact, mm-hmm. um, which has no uh, Robbie McIntosh is gone, but she gets Billy Bremner back in. Oh right. Yep. And for some, I guess for some, um, for some continuity, or just she needs the help, and uh, yeah, she does do a co-write with Johnny Marr on there called "When Will I See You," which is okay. Um, James, yeah. Another Jimi Hendrix cup. 
I'm not totally knocked out by this <laughs> by this album. record. Yeah. I think that the songs that I like on this record are the ones that she plays on I- the Isle of View, uh, which is their the Now that is a great live record. That is their her unplugged record which comes out in 95, but she sort of reclaims a couple songs from from this including the, the she opens with Sense of Purpose. She opens yep. that record and that's on that's on Pact. Yeah. Again, it's kind of a slightly anodyne version on Pact. I think it's a better version. And also I, the song Criminal, which is yeah. the final song, which is probably the best song on this record. Yeah. And she buries it as the last song. And then she, on streaming services, you can only hear the Isle of View version. So mm. the 1995 version gets tacked onto it because she, I, mean, I like the original studio version, but it's, um, right. it's a great song. That Isle of View record i i think for me has either super interesting versions of of some great songs or for me the best version of 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 the songs i like him to her better on isle of view i like uh chill factor better on isle of view uh i'm not gonna say i like kid better no but I do like what she does with it. I do too. Like the the reviewer on All Music Guide doesn't like it, but I think it's actually a pretty interesting departure. But Isle of View, I mean, we're sort of jumping the gun yeah, that on it, jumps but the but big we, one. We we can though, because it's it's Isle of View is she only has one song from Last of the Independence on there. She's really, I think, part of the right. impetus behind that record is not only to, to capitalize say, hey, on something, hey, but hey, is, remember. To, is to to take a couple of these songs that she wrote in the mid to late 80s and be like actually these are better than you guys yes. realized right um him to her sense of purpose chill factor criminal these are good songs should we play him to her from yeah sure i love you let me inside you into your room i've heard it's lined with the things you don't show Beside you, down on the floor. I've been your lover from the womb to the tomb. I dress as your daughter when the moon becomes round. You'll be my mother when everything's gone, and she will Something is lost, something is found They will keep on speaking her name Some things change, some stay the same Keep beckoning to me from behind that closed door The maid and the mother and the crone that's grown old I hear your voice Coming out of that hole I listen to you And I want some more I listen to you And I want some more And she will Something is lost, 
I mean, it almost, it, it's, like, it's like a funeral song almost, and then yes. shifts gears. It's got such a good chorus, that song, that, you know, um, we'll play in the episode. So good. But so then, then there's the sort of the big comeback record, yep. which comes out in 94, Last of the Independence. And for this, she finally succumbs and decides to, to try collaborating. Mm-hmm. And she gets, she collaborates with Tom Kelly and um, what's uh, Steinberg and what, Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly. Now, I was sort of looking up what those guys had. I mean, had written, and you know, they're responsible for Like a Virgin. Uh, I drove all night, which the version that I uh, was familiar with was uh, Roy Orbison's version, which was produced oh. by Jeff Lynne. Of the, there, we have a little ELO th- yeah. throwback, but they also he they were co-writers on "I Touch Myself." I mean, the, the true colors. I, Phil Collins. I love. I touch myself. <laughs> um, Eternal true, flame. Uh, no, true colors. Cindy Lauper. Oh, okay. Uh, Eternal flame. Alone by heart. I love that song. Um, so emotional by Whitney Houston. These are I huge, love that song. Huge. Tunes. Uh, yeah. These are awesome ballads. I think they're good. Big guys. time ballads. And of course, for her, they do. I'll stand by you. They do I'll Stand By You, which is an enormous hit, which actually wasn't as big of a hit at the time, as I recall, but the video did well. I feel but like it, it was in a movie, right? It's done extremely well since then. Oh, why you look so sad, the tears are in your eyes, come on and come to me. I've seen the dark side too When the night falls on you You don't know what to do Nothing you confess Could make me love you less I'll stand by you I'll stand by you
but she felt it was so commercial she was kind of embarrassed by it. Um, of course. But I mean, that would naturally be her knee-jerk reaction. She talks about on that Marin, Mark Marin interview, uh, she talks about... <laughs> I can just imagine who these two people are. She's like, my girls in Akron. Do you yeah. remember this? She's, She's like, basically, they kept me afloat. Went pre-internet. Basically, they're her fan club yeah. presidents. Her archivists. And they hate the song. And the, and songs like that. Yeah. She's like any sort of torch song ballad, they're like, get it the hell out of here. Chrissy, what are you doing? Stop it. <laughs> and she is so sensitive to that because she trusts them as as the real heartbeat of what the pretenders are. It's, it, it, the record's produced by two people that I think highly of, which is Ian Stanley, who was, did, was really involved in Tears for Fears during their big years. I love Tears for Fears. That's, yeah. a, that's a recent discovery for me. They're so good. And he was in the band for a while. Oh, wow. And, but he became sort of more well-known as a producer. He's not one of the two guys of Tears for Fears. And, and Stephen Street, who worked with the Smiths and worked with Morrissey. And again, a lot of sort of... Uh, you know, musical chairs here. In fact, I think Andy Rourke of the Smiths plays bass on a lot of this record, uh, Last of the Independents. And uh, I hadn't really, I'd really only known the song uh, I'll Stand By You. I think Hollywood Perfume, Night in My Veins, oh, is one Night of the my veins best songs on there. So good. It's, uh, let's play Night in My yeah. Veins. I see you standing silhouetted in the lamplight. I cross the street and I quick in my face. love that song. I realized in listening to the early Pretenders records, I was like, man, she did so much work to pave the way for 90s female artists like Sheryl Crow, Liz Fair, like that attitude and sound that kind of exploded during the 90s where she's not totally present. She had already created. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no. Uh, I think she's the archetype of that yeah. kind of thing, and she's the. I, I prefer her. And it was huge then. Ones. Yeah, it was. It was big. She never quite reaped the. I mean, she's had plenty of success, but yes. she never. Um, she didn't. I don't think she got her due at that time when it was really paying. Yeah. I, but although, I mean, she got paid on this record. And I'll, I'll stand sure. by. You did well. It's a. It's a cleaner, more commercial record. You can tell she's really trying, like yeah. on this record. I I was surprised by how much I really enjoyed almost the song I'm a mother is I wish it was better you know I just like it <laughs> it's I, a shocker it's I for sh- the first time I heard it I was like whoa <laughs>
I think almost every song in there is great. I, uh, that's my the one I could skip. Uh, I, I am, I'm wrong. You know, she did have a big moment of appreciation in the 90s. What? By Phoebe Buffay on that episode of Friends. When oh, she's... of course. She, she co-wrote. Christine <laughs> co-wrote Smelly Cat. Smelly Cat. Yeah, she actually right. co-wrote it. Yep. And yeah, and then she's on that uh, the one. I mean, they sing it a lot on that show, but that because uh, uh, my whole family has binged it over the uh, pandemic. Oh uh, but um, yeah, she's in one episode where uh, she sings with Phoebe. No, I'm sorry. It's <clears throat> Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat. Better. Yeah, yeah, much better. Good. And you know what? Don't don't feel bad because it's a hard song. Yeah, on the top. Okay, there is no top, all right? That's, that's the beauty of Smelly Cat. Why don't you just follow me, okay? Mm-hmm. Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat, what are they feeding you? Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat, it's not your fault. Too much, sorry. <laughs> the voice on one of the Rugrats movies, I think. Yeah, she sings with Bruce Willis, I think, in some movie. It might not be the Rugrats, but that's She's something. around on she's, she's duetting. I think like, well, I think she isn't. She's on a Morrissey song. She's on um, My Love Life. You can barely hear her on that. Like, <laughs> and supposedly, I feel like this is urban myth at this point. Um, she's on Pride in the Name of Love by U2. What? Uh, that, that's what I saw, but I I cannot hear it if it's true, and I don't really believe it. And she does do an absolutely. She's after better this off record, without him. She does a version of um, a version of uh, a song of, of Morrissey's uh, and Stephen Street's song "Every Day Is Like Sunday," one of my favorite mm. tunes of all time. She does a, a, a wonderful version of that, which is on the the Boys on the Side soundtrack. Um, well, but it's okay. it's worth seeking out. It's a slightly more. It just she's doing her own phrasing on it, and it's a really really good version of a perfect song. Um, so I like I like Last of the Independence, and that's followed by the Isle of View. And say yep. it, say it fast, say it out loud. Oh, I, out ju- the, I just heard it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I love you. I thought it was a place. And she sort of just slows down here. She she comes out with Viva El Amor in 1999, which is a good album. It's a good record, and it's it's again produced by Stephen Street and Stephen Haig. Um, the first song, she's Adam Seymour joins the band, by the way, for, I think he joins for Last of the Independence, and he becomes sort of her, one of her chief collaborators. Mm. And Martin Chambers comes back. Right, right. Uh, which is nice. Which is nice. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I like that. My favorite song on that record is the. It's, it's a. It's a. It's a divi- the, the people behind the divinals who do the touch yeah. myself song. Yeah. They have a song called on there called Human, which that's a good. I think it's. I'm only human on the inside. That's great.
such a, I mean, it's a good record. It's short. She's starting to write, it's like, these are 45 minute yeah. records that she's sort of from here on out. I like the song Nails in the Road. Um, yep, I like that one too. I could do kind of without Pop Star, which is the opening song, which is her sort of putting down <laughs> right. a, a guy for sort of dumping her and going out with a sort of a younger version of her. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's Baby's Breath is good. She's still writing. She does a couple songs with Steinberg and Kelly, but a lot of her own stuff. And then there's, there's it ends with the song Biker. Um, so she's, <laughs> oh boy. She, she's not gone away from Back that. Back to that. David Johansson uh, sings on Pop Star. Oh, really? Yeah, of course. Like everyone, she's a huge New York Dolls fan. Of course. And uh, I think uh, Jeff Beck plays guitar on that record too. It's you know it's it's a it's a good record. I don't think it's the equal of Last of the Independence, but it's certainly no slouch. It is five years after. I'm not terribly ambitious, and I only write when I'm on my own, unfortunately, which is a habit I'd like to change because I'm not really on my own so much anymore now that mm. I've got kids and uh, a more active domestic life than I used to. Mm. But um, do you write a lot? I mean, you release albums so so rarely. Do you have a big production of songs? Not really. I mean, if I had to whip up, up another ten songs to do an album in the next six months, I could do it. Mm. I'm sure I've got them unfinished songs, and I could sit down and write some if I if I if the pressure was on. I always said I can't write under pressure. I have to be free. But you know, really, I was bullshitting myself because it's until you know the whip is being cracked that I, I'll motivate. I'm not very motivated. Unfortunately, mm. I'm not proud of it. Mm. But I do have other activities in my life. Are Being a mother and everything, mm. I can't just totally dedicate myself to my my work all the time. And I think that would become a little bit boring, possibly. Mm. Yeah, and I think we take a dip here with Break Up the Concrete. I really, I don't like that well, album. We, but we miss, you're talking, there's one that's not on Spotify. Loose, oh. Loose Screw comes out in 2002. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's uh, produced by Jonathan Quimby, Quimby and Kevin Bacon. Not that Kevin Bacon. There's another Kevin Bacon. And it's got life a, is tough for that Kevin Bacon. It's got a cover. It's got a song on there called Saving Grace, which I think is really beautiful. And um, uh, which is a, a Steinberg Kelly co-write. Uh, it's got a lot of these sort of reggae songs, which I think... I could just listen to once. Mm. But then, randomly, she does a Jarvis Cocker cover at the very end with a song called Walk Like a Panther that he wrote for Tony Christie. And that's a good song. Miguel has set up home With a woman half my age Half wit in a leotard Stands on my Then, then it comes to break up the concrete. Yeah, not your favorite. Not 
at all. Not at all. <laughs> I don't like a thing on it. Yeah, not a thing. Not a thing. Well, I would. I have. I do have a couple songs I like on but it. But I'm I'm ready to to be uh, persuaded. Well, I don't. I don't want to get your hopes up because I don't think it's. I don't. I'm. I'm not like. Uh, I think I like the last ride, which is this one. Made my bed, but I couldn't sleep in it. The man in red tracking me minute by minute. Running like a horse, I always looking behind me. But of course, you would always find me. Hey, buddy, hey, friend, my pal, my brother. We take shelter in each other. I'll keep it simple. It's sort of a, a country song. Boots of Chinese Plastic, I think, is kind of a, a good rocker. But mm. I, I agree, it's not it's not the the most amazing stuff here. Well, I say that because uh, in 2016 she does Alone, and in 2020 uh, she does Hate for Sale, both of which I think are incredibly strong. Yeah, and they're the one's first really one's enjoyable. Hour back from the Black Keys, from the Black Keys, and the second one I think is who's the second one is just. That when that out when that song the buzz came out. It's a drug like any other. Opiated, sugar-coated UV. They got the sack. All about to be promoted at the mercy of your man, and he's making you wait for the buzz. Yeah, I mean, she's doing a, a lot, and she's really, I mean, she she does a, kind of a jazz vocal album. Her solo record she does called Stockholm in 2014 yep. is a great, um, it's a really good record. It's with the guys from Peter Bjorn and John, and so she, she just decides. Those she are decides, the guys she couldn't convince to go on a, yeah, on a tour. Yeah, she, she, she decides to call it Chrissy Hine, not because she's like through with the pretenders, yeah. but she just wants to do something different, shake it up, and she said she got on bills as Chrissy Hine that she wouldn't have got on as the right. pretenders, sort of seen as a heritage act, but there's some... Uh, Dark Sunglasses is a really good song, and uh, the very first song, You Were No One, is a really good tune. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a Phil Spectory type type version. It's a it's a poppier record, uh, and it's there's not really any bad songs. Life in the Like in the Movies is good. Mm. Um, it's it's worth seeking out, but again, it's it's all sort of in the same stream. But then she goes basically back to garage rock, I would yeah. say, for for Alone and then Hate for Sale. Um, but there's surprises on uh, Alone. Yeah, what are your favorite songs on these? Well, there's one on there. Uh, 
there's some light touches in a in a great way, beautiful things that happen on Alone. One that always surprises me every time it comes on is called Blue Eyed Sky. No one on she's gone soft there's still uh songs like uh chord lord <laughs> roadie man uh i hate myself and death is not enough so. death is not enough is a beautiful yeah. that's more that's a slower song that's a really good song holy commotion's a good single it really is um and then she came out in 2000 i think it's 2020 that, yep that 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 uh hate for sale comes out I really dig the song Maybe Love is in New York City. I do too. I think that's another good good tune. And then again with the just as Chrissy Hines, she's she's doing some interesting stuff. She has a Dylan Covers album. Um, and then Oh yeah, her version of Standing in the Doorway Crying will will leave you standing in the doorway crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she does a Nick Drake cover on um, that jazz vocal uh, album uh, Valve Bone Woe. Mm. I hope I'm pronouncing that. No, that's her sort of jazz record. Here's, kind of... here's River Man. Betty came by on her way. Said she had a word to say about things today and fallen She hadn't heard the news Hadn't had the time to choose A way to lose But she believes Gonna see the river this point in her career she's really had the chance to do it all yeah she's doing she's done what she's right now when you do a dylan covers album and a jazz record you're sort of basically saying like what are the things i want to do yeah like, she duetted with frank sinatra yeah oh, like when he was alive when he was alive yeah 
Um, and then, you know, recently on that um, Taylor Hawkins um, tribute concert, the one in England, uh, she was up there with McCartney and uh, a handful of other people. She's just... She's just a presence. I sound so ordinary to myself when I say this, because this must be the same answer that you get from anyone in a band. But, you know, I, I'd really like to get back into painting and doing the things that I've... traveling around, things that I, I still want to do, and I, I will do if I have the time. What about you, Mark? Somebody once said that uh, if the more intelligence you have, the more complicated your life can be sometimes. If, if you want to be happy, it's, you <laughs> shut up. You shut up. I want to get my five penny worth in, so just shut your mouth. Now, if you want to be happy, the best thing to do is try and keep life simple, and that's very true. Because when you've got all these lots of things, you, you know, it just becomes a pain in the ass. And um, that's, you know, I mean, I, I'm sitting here, I've got a beer, you know, I mean, I'm happy. You know, you probably a lot of people there have got beers in their hands as well. Well, that really sums it up, though, really, and seriously. That's me, though. If you but can enjoy a good cup of tea as much as I can, you're a happy person. Really you don't really take know, things for know, granted, I, I, but, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a miserable old sourpuss, too, you know, yeah, that's, that's my right. nature. I'm, yeah, she is. People think I'm a pessimist, but I'm yeah, not. I'm an optimist, not, you know. No. Or at least a pragmatist, anyway. That's What's my that? beer. That? See, no, I'm unhappy, you know. Because <laughs> she's happy. got your beer. I'm not happy. See, I'm happy. No, you're not happy. You can't always. You see, you can't all be happy. I'll tell. If I were sitting in your chair and you were sitting here and you were asking me that question, uh -huh. I'd probably say the same damn thing. You know, yeah, keep your life simple. And I got a beer and I'm happy. The fact is, though, I'm talking with two people who who weren't happy with you had a beer in Ohio you know yeah and you had a beer when you first came to London but goddamn there was a lot more that you wanted but now we own the beer <laughs> this is my beer <laughs> that's what you had <laughs> no we stole the beer yeah. then <laughs> I know, I know no yeah beer. but you know the, you're just talking about time really you know you're talking about the, the difference in time in a life you're yeah. talking about the difference between someone who's 20 and someone who's 30 or someone who's 25 and someone who's 35, you know, time changes things. That's what it said in that great James Brown song, money won't change you, but time will take you on, you know, and that's really where it's at, I think. But don't get me wrong, you know, money, I'm not, I know people who could use a lot more money than they've got, you know, and I'm not trying in any way to, you know, yeah, I've got a lot of bread at the moment, you know, so I'm not saying, like, who needs it, you know, because people do need it. That's why we do the song Money, you know, because there's a lot of truth in that. But uh, that's not exactly what makes the world go around either. Again, catch any kind of interview you can with her because it's going to always be present tense. You know, she's not. Yes. She's not hitting talking points. She's got a lot to say, and you know, she and about the state of music today. Yeah, which she's, she's game to figure out, but she also has evaluations of of uh, what she thinks. Of, that's what's so great about. She's got opinions. Yeah. She's not afraid to share them. Yeah. She doesn't care right. what you think about them. Right. And you can sort of take or leave her and people have strong reactions to her. But I think she's I <laughs> think she's sure I think she's fantastic. I feel like she's sort of an even though she's been gone from America for long, long she's lived much more of her life in England. And I, I think, think she's a national treasure. And she recognizes that her the people who love her uh I think are grateful that she's never changed her her tune or her voice. You know, she's she's there. She talks about representing the uh, the the divorcee single mom. 
<laughs> you know, um, and and standing for rugged independence. And you know, even though she's a success and and has you know her choice of things to do, she still hasn't lost that sense of blue collar responsibility and and value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think that's very impressive. She's like, yeah, and she's a walking history book at this point, just because she was on the ground floor. For I mean, the, when I found out that she, her first kiss was Jackie Wilson, then she's at Kent State when that stuff happens, and then she's like, at the first Ramones show and the Sex Pistols, and like, yeah. it, it's constantly, she's there. Right. You just kind of can't yeah, believe and she'd I, lived a long life before the Pretenders began. I know. That's that's what's amazing, and you get the sense that there's stories she hasn't told yet. Yeah, too. well, she does, certainly doesn't. Yeah, she 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 clearly had a little fling with Iggy Pop at one point that <laughs> she was uh, goaded into talking about it uh, in in her book. But um, so, what are your? Do you want to go top five? I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Um, well, for me, I will just I'll say, Kid is at the very top. Uh, followed by Talk of the Town and Back on the Chain Gang. Um, 2,000 Miles is on there. And then I'd probably do the song I actually like the most uh, from those last years is Human. I think it's um, oh in- incredible. Uh, awesome. I-, I prefer the mix uh, called... Um, it's the, I think the the, the 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 actually no I prefer the class mix, the class mix. I could keep going like if I if I had to fill it out I'd probably choose uh, Louis Louis. I'd go with the Buzz. Um, I might even um, talk Night in My Veins and and a hymn to her uh, or Sense of Purpose. Like these are all songs I could go on and on. And so because I chose the big hits, yeah. But those are also songs I think she's she's. R- remarkably uh, shrewd in terms of her own material. Like she has released her best known songs are in many cases, her best songs. Like, right. Like it's been rare that people have been like, Oh, there's this amazing song that wasn't released as a single, but most of them are right out there. Um, okay. My first album uh, pick is mystery achievement. Mm. That's a um, good song. My second album pick is I already said this, The Adulteress, and then also on <clears throat> also on part two, or Pretenders Two, I love Pack It Up. Oh, that's a good song. Uh, I love it. I love the way it sounds musically, but also it's it it stands for her nomadic um, energy yeah. and. Uh, and it's unashamed in that way. Huh. She's like, this is what I do. You know, yeah. I got to hit the road. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Um, so that's three, I think. Yep. And uh, don't get me wrong. That's four. Oh, hmm. shit. I'm going to go over. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to pick Night in My Veins. Okay. And maybe Love is in New York City. Wow. Off uh, Hate for Sale. You know one song we didn't mention that so came out a six. few years ago, which I was a very, uh, it was a discovery for me, is that she did. You know, in two thousand eight, she and Ray Davies released a song together. 
It's, what do you think of that song? I like the song. You do. If people would say it's super cheesy. They haven't like talked for years, it yeah. sounds like. And yeah. Ray's quote about the song. He said, he said, uh, Chrissy wasn't my first choice for this song. <laughs> I wanted Dame Vera Lynn because the song has that sort of melody she would handle rather well. Having said that, oh, Chrissy God. came into the studio and did her bit brilliantly. I wasn't there at the time, and of course our relationship history adds another texture to the song, but it, it wasn't recorded around a log fire or anything. We weren't toasting marshmallows and cracking nuts. Oh, my God. <laughs> Brutal. A nice little footnote. What do you want to send it out on? Well, should we do uh, Standing in the Doorway? Yeah, let's do that. someone says, oh, aren't you the singer of the Pretenders? Really? Yeah, but it doesn't do anything for me if someone says, are you Chrissy Hind? All this talk about the music business, and we actually have producers of our own, and they are our subscribers over at Patreon. And one perk of subscribing at the Quincy and Gordy levels is a little special acknowledgement. It's time for you to find out who helps us behind the scenes. And that's our Quincy who is Michael Austin, and all our Gordies, Alex Orthwain, John Glover, Joshua Corrigan, Mixtape 67, Steve Carey, and Zach Bruckmiller. If you'd like to find out more about what goes on over at Patreon, the link is in the show notes. You left me standing